Oh. Now, if you noticed, me and Sean are wearing these tacky jerseys that seemingly are made by lots of different companies, depending on which part of the market you bought them in in Guatemala. And uh, we're wearing them because this Friday our Guatemala team is, is headed out. We're going to Guatemala on Friday. So yeah, it's a good thing. Um, so we'll be there next Friday, June 3rd through the 12th. So I'd encourage you to please pray for us because we need it. Okay, we're going to do a lot of things while we're there. We made up about 5,000 of these cards for the different churches that we're helping down there. We're going to be doing street evangelism, inviting people to church. We have tracks. We have all sorts of things we're going to be doing like that. We're also doing a VBS for kids for several days. We're explaining the gospel uh, and then we're building on the church that's there in, in one of the cities. And so we would love your prayers for what we're doing. Um, you can also follow us. We're, we're going to have a team blog. There should be two blogs a day, we're hoping, depending internet connection and electricity. Um, but we'll post two blogs a day. You can go to the Risen Life website, risenlifeutah.org. And at the bottom of the page, there's a link there where you can follow uh, and see what we're doing. <laughs> And then I wanted to say a thank you to the church because, sorry, our team is fully funded and and, and more so than ever before, I want you to know that. So 18 people going, more funding than we've ever had. So you guys have willingly given to what we're doing. And I just want to say thank you. And we asked you, on top of that, we heard that it was going to cost about $4,000 to finish the church down there. That's what they were hoping to raise on top of what we'd already given them. And you guys gave an additional $3,000 so far. That is amazing. And so I just want to thank you and know that God will richly bless you as your heart has been moved to give and you've been obedient to him. So thank you so much. All right, so today we're going to start a new series on the law, particularly looking at the Ten Commandments, which these, as we're going to see, these really form the core of God's law that he gives to Israel. So if you want, you can go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 20. Verses 1 through 17, this is where we get, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a little bit going on here in my nose. <clears throat> in fact, is there a tissue? I'm going to grab a tissue, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you don't want to hear me sniffling throughout the whole thing. All right, I'm really sorry about that, but I don't think you wanted to hear that for the next 30 minutes. Um, so Exodus 20, this is where we get God's Ten Commandments. Now, I want to I give you a little bit about the biblical storyline here so we know where we are. Uh, in the Bible, we have a picture, I believe, of the storyline. Oh, not up there. Okay, well, here's, here's where Exodus fits into the picture. We have Genesis, the creation account. God creates, man falls, they turn away from God. Then God selects Abraham 
to be his special person that will be the father of a nation that is meant to bless the entire world. Abraham has sons. Uh, those sons with Jacob, he has 12 sons, which become the, the, the start of the 12 tribes of Israel. They go into Egypt, and they're there for 400 years in slavery. They cry out to God, and God answers their prayers, and as we'll see through many miraculous things, he brings them out of Egypt, saves them, and takes them to Mount Sinai where he will give the law. He will make a covenant with Moses. Okay, and this will be the beginning of of the nation. And so we're going to consider God's covenant here that he makes through the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at this primarily with three questions today. So the first one is, what is the law? What are we, what are we talking about here? Um, the second one will be, what is the purpose of the law? Why did God give these laws to Moses? And then finally, how should we as New Testament believers relate to the law if we're believers in Christ? So we're going to look at those three things. Now, I'm, I'm an Old Testament scholar. At least people tell me that at some level. And uh, I love this story. I love the giving of the law to Moses. And, and I hope that as we look at this that I'll show you, give you a little different peek into the law as we work through our, our questions today. In fact... If you look at Psalm 119.18, it says, Open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And I think that will be our prayer as we, as we work through this series. And so let's take a look at our first question. What is the law? Uh, the Bible talks a lot about law. If you've, if you've been in church at all, you've, you've heard about law. Even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard about the Ten Commandments at some level. And so we, we hear a lot about law, but some of us don't know what the law is or what it does. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. For others of us, we, we generally think of the law as rules, right? God giving rules. Maybe when you hear God's rules, you think of the old song from Five Man Electric Band. But you know what I'm going to say? Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? That's kind of what some of us think about the Ten Commandments when they're hanging on the wall. Some of us may even think that the law is something bad. We have the Protestant Reformation to, to thank for this that they drew a large dichotomy between grace of Christ and the law of Moses. Paul in uh, Romans 8.2 even calls the law the law of sin and death. Now he also calls it grace and a hope and holy. But somehow we've got in our mind that maybe God's law is not compatible with what he's doing in Christ. Something maybe to be avoided, something that doesn't apply to us as believers and Jesus. So, so what is the law? What are we talking about here? Uh, the law in the Bible is so much more than a set of rules. I want you to hear that. The, rather, the law as it's set forth in the Ten Commandments becomes the, the foundation for one of the most important covenants God ever made with us as humans. In fact, the, the word law, the, lo, the word law in Hebrew, it's commonly the word Torah. Maybe you've heard this, 
this word. This is one of the ways that the Jews separate their Bibles. The, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Okay? Sometimes the law, it refers to the, the, all of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Sometimes it just refers to um, the specific laws that God gave in those first five books. And sometimes it can refer to just the Ten Commandments. And so when we look at, when we look at the Bible, there's three major places where laws are given in the Old Testament. Uh, the first is, is what we're going to be looking at in this series is the Book of the Covenant in Exodus 20 through 23:19. This includes the Ten Commandments. And then after that, for three chapters, God gives what we call case law. That means he's taking a law and he's putting it in a particular situation and he tells you what you should do in a particular situation. Okay. Then in Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus, Leviticus contains cultic law, how Israel should worship God, how the priests should do their sacrifices, how the, they should run the temple, the sanctuary, all these sort of things, as well as the holiness code, which means how we are to be set apart as God's people, how we are to be holy. And then the third place we get a lot of law in the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 12 uh, through 26. This is what they call the Deuteronomic Code. It's Moses is standing, um, looking over into the promised land. He's recounting all the laws of God. Again, he recounts the Ten Commandments, all the other law, and he's telling the people of Israel, follow these laws when you go into the land, and then God will bless you or he will curse you as you follow along in his commandments. And so today, we want to focus in on the beginning of the law, the central core of the law, the Ten Commandments, as they were given to us in Exodus 20, 1 through 17. Now really, I want you to see here that all the other laws that God gives us, really they could be placed within the Ten Commandments. Okay? These, are, these are really a summary of everything else God tells us. And, and when we look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, you could separate them into two major divisions. And the, these are going to be familiar to you. The first four are concerning our relationship to God. Okay? Don't have any other gods. Don't, have any, don't make any idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and keep the Sabbath. And, and the second set of laws in the Ten Commandments, the second six, are really concerning our relationship to man. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet, which means don't desire other people's stuff for their spouses. Okay, that, So really when we look at these, the Ten Commandments, they're talking about our relationship to God and our relationship to man. That's why Jesus, when he's asked in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. What is the greatest commandment in the law? What does he say? He summarizes the law well in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus has pointed to the core of the law 
in the Ten Commandments. And notice here, he's even summarized it for ongoing usage. It's really about loving God and it's about loving your neighbor. Everything else that comes in the Old Testament in the law and through all the prophets is an expansion on those two principles. And we get those right here in the Ten Commandments. And so we should pay close attention to the law if Jesus has summarized it as such. These ten laws in Exodus 20 give God's people instruction on what it means to properly relate to the one true God and relate to man, and they have lasting significance. Now, what 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 sets the Ten Commandments apart from the rest of the law? Okay, because they're they're kind of set apart, right? They're they're the core of the law, and yet they're set apart. I think there's two things that really set them apart, and and these are these are cool. I think number one. Um, the Ten Commandments are spoken directly to Israel by God. Everybody heard them. Okay? God spoke with His voice to Moses and all of Israel. They heard them. All the other laws come through a mediator. Okay? In, in Exodus twenty eighteen through 21, it, it tells us, after God came down on Mount Sinai and it, darkness came and there was thundering and lightning and, and fire... The people were scared, as they should have been, right? God's presence was there. And, and they said, Moses, we, we're, we're down with this God thing, but we want you to talk to him and then tell us what to do. We don't want to talk to him face to face anymore. In fact, these, these words, in fact, the, the Ten Commandments are also called the Ten Words, that's originally where we get the, the, the name Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Words in Exodus thirty four twenty eight, focusing on the fact that God spoke them. Almost like creation, he's creating something new. They're the Ten Words spoken to all of Israel on Mount Sinai, inviting them into a covenant relationship. And secondly, God actually inscribed the Ten Commandments in stone by his own hand. Twice. Okay? Exodus 24, 12 through 13 and Exodus 34, 1. God inscribes these laws on stone for his people. Twice. Now you ask, why twice? Well, the first time Moses brought the, the tablets down the hill, saw that the people had started worshiping the golden calf and threw them on the ground and broke them because he was upset. And God, being the gracious God he is, after, after dealing out just punishment to the people for what they've done, said, Moses, come back up, bring me some new stones, I'll write them again for you. So we have them twice. And so these commandments were so important to God that he wrote them down for us himself. Everywhere else, men write down what God speaks. Furthermore, we, you know, we, we always hear about the two tablets, right? There's always, you know, you see in picture, there's two tablets. We don't, we're not sure how the tablets were broken up. Maybe they were the laws for God and laws for man. Um, a lot of people point to the fact that in, uh, the ancient Near East, people would make treaties with a, with a God or with a, with another king, and there would be a copy of the treaty for, for that, for each member of the party, for God and for the people. And so maybe there was two copies, right? But for whatever it is, uh, 
These commandments were meant to remind Israel of their covenant with God. In fact, they get placed in the Ark of the Covenant covenant as a, a perpetual witness to Israel of the covenant that God had made with them. So there's something special about these commandments that God would speak them out directly, that God would write them with his own hand. He wants them to be remembered. The Ten Commandments, spoken from the very mouth of God, form the basis of God's deepening covenant with Israel. But to think about the law kind of alone without considering its purpose it doesn't do it do it justice. So let's let's consider the purpose of the law. Let's give a little little context here. So as we said in Genesis 12:15, 17 and 22, Abraham is called to follow God. God makes promises to Abraham that he will have children and out of these children the whole world will be blessed because God is making a special people for himself. The end of Genesis ends with Jacob and his 12 sons enslaved in or they're in Israel or in Egypt. They have gone to live there and there they will be for 400 years. They will be enslaved by Egypt. And then the book of Exodus records Israel's journey out of Egypt as they begin moving towards the promised land to be a nation. For 400 years Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And God brings them out through many signs and wonders. You've heard of the ten plagues. Ten ways God did ten miracles to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Then we see in Exodus that as, as the Israelites are fleeing Egypt, they're caught between the sea and the mountains and the, the Egyptians are coming down on them to kill them. And God parts the Red Sea, brings his people across safely, lures in the Egyptians, and then covers them over with the water. God saves them again. And then as Israel's making its journey through the desert, God provides manna, quail, water, all along the way, saving Israel as they journey through the desert. Furthermore, God, he led them through the desert with a cloud by day and a fiery pillar by night so that they would know where they're going. (coughs) The call of God, the creation of this people in Abraham, all the miraculous saving acts of God happened before Israel ever got to Mount Sinai where they received the law. This is so important, we'll see. So here is Israel, camped before Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up and tells him what he's going to do. Here's here's what God is going to do next. Here's the purpose of the law. Look at Exodus 19, 3-6. Here's what it says. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel, and then God will give the law. Now notice a couple things about this. Look at Exodus 19.3 there. It says, 
God says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The creation of the nation of Israel, as we've said, salvation from Egypt, travel in the desert has been an act of God's grace towards the people of Israel. God's initiative, through God's strength, for God's purposes. His purpose has been to bring this people to Himself. The story of Exodus is about gaining proximity to God and gaining God's presence in the life of Israel. At the opening of the book of Exodus, Israel is oppressed in Egypt in slavery. The book ends with God's glory filling the tabernacle as He's dwelling with His people. The law is part of God's gracious plan to save His people. We have to see that. And the the same thing can be said about our journey with Christ. God calls us, He saves us, and He invites us into a deeper relationship with Him. And this this leads us to the next thing we see here in Exodus 19. Look at 19.5, Exodus 19.5. It says, if, if Israel will follow God's commandments that he's about to reveal, then they will be his treasured possession in all the earth. Don't let the magnitude of that be lost. They're about to be God's treasured possession in all the earth. That means if, if the world is a ring on, on God's finger, then Israel is the jewel in the center. I would like to refer to this as Gollum talking about his precious ring, but I don't think that fits the character of God very well. (laughs) But that's the idea. We are God's special possession as his people. God deeply loves and cares for his people that are in covenant with him. Above all else, his treasured possession. If you're part of God's people through Christ... You are his special possession. You are called the bride of Christ. Sons and daughters of the king. Heirs to the throne of God. Special possession. That's what God wants to create with Israel here at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19.6, look at this. We also see that God's special people, they have an important job. And that's, That's to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As priests, they are to make the ways of God known to the nations. They are to bring the nations into the right relationship to God. I want you to see that. That's what God's purpose has been for His people from day one. He called Abraham so that the nations could be blessed. He makes a covenant with Moses so that the nations can be brought to him in special relationship with him. He brings us to Christ and sends us out as missionaries into the world. God's people have an important job, kingdom of priests, that we would help others relate to the God we know. And it calls for holiness on our part as we relate to God. God's purpose in giving the law is to deepen his relationship with Israel. 
thereby making them his treasured possession through his covenant. But to God's, but to be God's treasured possession requires something of us. It requires something on the part of the people. An agreement, a, a covenant in accordance with the, the character of who God is. If we're going to link trains with God, that means that God calls the shots here. We need to come his way in the, the Ten Commandments given to Moses serve as that covenant. It, it, it helps if we, if we think of the Ten Commandments, the, the, the rules given to Israel in terms of covenant because it, it moves them from the place of just rules to rules with a purpose. Okay? It, think of, think of the covenant of marriage. It's actually very, very similar. Okay? There's a, in marriage, there's a narrowing of our freedom. We give up some things to be married to our spouse. In the name of deepening a relationship. That's what's going on here at Sinai. Don't think of the law as imposed restrictions on Israel. But it's more like marriage vows between a couple. If you're going to walk with me as my people, this is what it requires. We make a covenant with our spouse to be theirs alone. For those of you that are married or not married, this is what you're looking towards to make this covenant, to restrict yourself to this special relationship. God is asking Israel to make a covenant with himself that sets them apart as his treasured possession. As we'll see later in the New Testament, his bride. When I was getting married to Amy, you know, when you're single, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do those, we'll do those vows thing. And then you, you get up there on stage. And I don't know about, for most of you guys that have gotten married, and if you haven't gotten married, this will happen to you too. But you start reciting those vows and it's like all of a sudden the weight of what you're doing hits you. Holy moly! I'm saying I want to be with this woman forever. I'm going to take care of her in sickness and in health. I'm only going to be with her. It hits you. And then you either power through or you start weeping like a baby, right? <laughs> That's what's going on here. There's a, there's a special covenant being made between God and His people. Special vows, limiting their freedom so that they can be, God can be their God, they can be His people, and they can accomplish His purposes in the world. And so we want to think of God's law, His commandments, as a deepening of the relationship with Israel to make them His treasured possession. The law gives rules for the relationship of Israel to God entering into God as a special possession. But also it's really intertwined with the lawgiver, as we've said. And, and that's what we want to see here too, is that these commandments, they can't be separated from the lawgiver. You can't separate the law from the lawgiver. In fact, look at what God says right before he starts giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 22. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God declares himself in majesty. I'm the Lord your God. And then he talks about himself as Savior. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery to be my people. I've saved you 
And now I'm going to give you my laws. So when we look at God's laws, the laws given by God are meant to be lived out as a response to God's character and saving grace. It started with God. Have we already seen the law? The law comes after all these saving acts of God. He created the people of Israel. He saved them from Egypt. He's carried them all through the desert. He's been their Savior. And the law comes after. And as we look at the law, we want to respond to the character of God. God, you're, you're the only God. You're the saving God. And I want to follow you. As we sung, I'll stand, heart abandoned. I want to follow you because of what you've done. This is so important. Israel's relationship with God is not initiated by law observance. We often think of it that way. Rather, as we've seen, God initiated the call of Abraham. God freed them from Egypt. God has seen them through the wilderness, and now he's urging for deeper relationship. Listen to this. Israel's keeping the law does not, does not form their relationship with God. Okay? Keeping the law does not form their relationship with God, but rather deepens and maintains the relationship they already have. The old covenant is based on the saving grace of God, and that grace motivates them to keep the covenant just like the new covenant will in Christ. Your obedience to God's call of holiness on your life will never happen until you've experienced the loving grace of God and salvation through Christ. You cannot be obedient to God until you've experienced who He is and know what He is. You're saved by God's gracious act of salvation on the cross. Then it's that grace in our life that should motivate our, to give ourselves to God and follow His ways in obedience. In fact, the Bible points to the fact that you aren't even able to be obedient until God does a work in your heart through Christ. Only when the Holy Spirit has given you a new heart will you have the power to respond in obedience to the ways God has prescribed. Ezekiel 36 says it's the best. So if you've never read Ezekiel 36, read the whole chapter. It's awesome. Okay, But here's what it says. It, it talks about how God will, and this is the Old Testament talking about the New Covenant, which is even better. Uh, it talks about how God will cleanse our hearts, remove our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And then verse 27, it says this, that God will put his spirit within you and cause you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. You can't walk in obedience to God until you have experienced who God is and his saving acts through Christ in your life. And listen, this, this helps us out. There's, there's been a lot of recent debate about the Ten Commandments being posted in schools, being posted in court buildings. And listen, I'm all for it. That's, that's fine and good. Okay? The Ten Commandments are good advice for life. They give universal truth that leads to right order in our communities and in the world. That's what God is doing in the person of Israel. 
but they are worthless without a relationship with the lawgiver. They only have true power and right relationship to God. God's purpose for the law is to deepen his relationship with Israel, to make them his treasured possession, to be in covenant relationship with the lawgiver. You can hang whatever you want on the wall, but it's just going to be a sign unless you know God, unless you know Christ. So we've said that the law is God's instruction on what it means to properly relate to the one true God, to man and to man. And that the purpose of the law is is to deepen our relationship between God and Israel by making them his treasured possession um, through covenant. Now let's look at one last thing and we'll look at this one quickly here. How should we as New Testament believers in Christ relate to the law? Now I want you to know this is like the hardest question there is to ask the Bible besides the the question about how God and evil relate to one another. Okay, but let's, I think, and and as we go through this series, next week Kevin is going to give us a review of all the saving acts that lead up to the Ten Commandments. He's going to work through those. And then we're going to go one by one through the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And then at the end we're going to come back to this topic. So I'm going to give you a little bit today, but we're going to come back to this topic about law in the New Testament. How does this work with Jesus? And I think there's three important things that we can say this morning as we're going in to our discussion of the law. First, the law is meant to be a shadow and picture of the salvation that is to come in Christ. Okay? Colossians 2.17 says this, and similarly in Hebrews 10.1. In speaking of the law, it says, these are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. God giving the law and making a covenant with Israel is a shadow and a foretaste of the very salvation we get to experience in the new covenant blood of Christ. That means that the covenant God makes with Israel pictures what God will do in Christ, and it's our job to figure out how it does that. How does this picture what's true about our salvation in Christ? And that deepens our understanding as we ask that question. Band, you can come on up as well. Secondly, (laughs) thank you, thank you, band. Instead of the five-man electric band, we have the one-man acoustic band. We have a little bit of electricity. So the law is a shadow of our salvation. Secondly, We're making a covenant in the blood of Christ with the same God that made this covenant. The law given to Moses reveals the character of that same God that we serve and reveals his expectations for his people. As we look at each commandment, we want to understand what this reveals about God and what each commandment says about God's expectations for us as his people. And then finally, and this is the best one, I think. When we look at the law, the Bible tells us that, in fact, Jesus tells us, that the law has not passed away. Rather, it's fulfilled in Christ. 
Matthew 5.17 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That means don't set aside your Old Testament. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so we want to understand how Christ fulfills every aspect of these Ten Commandments. Romans 10.4 tells us that Christ is the completion of the law. He's, he's the end. He's the telos. He's what the law was pointing to. Christ lived the law out perfectly in our place. What He asked Israel to do, He did it. And He fulfilled every aspect. Christ gives us an example of what it means to live out the law as a perfect son and daughter of God. Christ is the perfect example of what it means to be a priest to all nations, drawing all men to Himself. Christ is the perfect example of what it means to be God's treasured possession a member of the Trinity, in deep relationship with God. God stands ready with us to make a new covenant today, just like the one He made with Abraham, the one He made with Moses, and now offers in the blood of Christ to you and to me and to all of us. He has performed acts of salvation on your behalf, and now He wants to go deeper with you. Will you confess Him as Lord? Will you begin to live out that life that He has called you to lead? Titus 2, 11-14 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Lord, we thank You for what You did with Moses, the way that You made a covenant with Your people and You wanted to deepen Your relationship with them. You'd already revealed Yourself as the saving God, creating them, saving them from Egypt. And now You said, let's go deeper. I want to make You a a nation of priests and of holy people to bring the world to Myself and bring You back into communion with Me. Lord, I pray that we would know You in that way. We would know You as our Savior. We would know Jesus, what He did for us, and that we would follow You and and give our hearts up to You, give our hearts in abandon to You. So Lord, as we come to the communion table, I pray that You would continue to speak to us and we would set ourselves to follow You, hearts abandoned. In the name of Christ, Amen.
Uh, we're going to come to a time of communion, and I'd ask the deacons to come on up and, and begin to prepare to do that. But I want to say just a word about communion, because communion pictures the Passover meal where God passed over the Israelites and and destroyed the Egyptian firstborn. But also, the picture of communion is right here with the Ten Commandments. God God says, here's what I'm doing with you, Israel. I'm going to make you my special my special possession. I'm going to give you my law, and we're going to deepen our relationship together. God gives the Ten Commandments, and then the people respond. Here's Here's what the people say in Exodus 24, uh, 3 through 11. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, all the rules, all the commandments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and he put it on the basins and half of the blood he threw on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. He said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then there's this beautiful picture. It says, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up the mountain and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heavens for its clearness. And they did not lay a hand, God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. And today as we celebrate communion, we're celebrating being cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we get to eat and drink in His presence just as they did as they celebrated the covenant that they had made with God. And we look forward to when Christ returns and we have the marriage feast of the Lamb. Every time we take communion, it is for believers that are saying, we want to follow you, God. We will do what you have asked of us. We are yours. And we recommit ourselves to that every time we take the bread and the cup. So if you're a believer in Christ, then we invite you to join us at the table and take part of the body and the blood of Christ as we celebrate His death on our behalf. The Bible also warns us as we come to the table, don't take this lightly. Rather, consider your position before God. Is there sin in your life you need to repent of? Do so as we're passing out the elements. Is there someone in here that that you don't have a right relationship with? 
Part of communion is getting the unity of the body right. If you need to apologize or if you need to forgive someone in here, go and do it. Be right before God as we take part of his communion. Man, you can come. Also, if you are if you are in need of gluten-free uh, bread, please raise your hand, and we have someone designated who will help you out with that. There's a lady right over there.
On the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you that you are beaten, bruised, and broken on our behalf, God. Thank you for dying for us, that your sacrifice paid for our sins, God. Thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you. In the name of Christ, amen. And now we'll do the same with the cup.
Jesus said after the bread that this is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Drink it as often as you remember me. Lord, we thank you that you have cleansed us through your blood. God, may we give all of ourselves to you, live as your people. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice of Christ.